before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline continues to remain your number one place for all your betting needs and sports info as we head into the heart of Major League Baseball season. Head to their website or use your mobile device to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast it is june 27th everybody i hope you all are having a fantabulous day here today just from a podcast standpoint we reached 140,000 all-time downloads on the podcast this weekend i'm hugely appreciative of all of your continued support here on this show I want to start off today's show by acknowledging what happened on Friday as after 50 years of being a legal precedent, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the United States Supreme Court, a Supreme Court that, I mean, I remember watching a John Oliver in 2016 that foretold this happening because you were going to have a Republican-controlled supermajority in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court does not have term limits, and so this will last for decades on end with the ability to undo supreme court undo supreme court standards based on a conservative court making political decisions because 40 years ago the supreme court stopped being about principle and started being about politics so i'm not going to do an in-depth analysis of this a big part of the problem with having Roe v. Wade overturned is the fact that white men who are uninformed voice their opinions on this issue. So I'm not going to mansplain this situation around women's body, women's autonomy, and women's health. We as a society decided many, many years ago, well, we as an American society decided many, many years ago that health care was not a fundamental human right. And so health care becomes about politics. And this is a health care situation in which Women are going to die as a result of this decision, and this is what we wanted as a society because we could pass, we could have made this a federally legislated point decades and decades ago. Democrats decided that they were going to stomp their feet at that decision because it was a hot button topic at the time. Now there's universal applause for it, and in the grand scheme of issues in America, yes, it's a it's a healthcare issue. It's a it's a small part of healthcare. In the grand scheme of we need trillions of dollars of funding to help low-income people receive medical care, this is just another situation in which women who don't have financial resources are going to be denied health care, something that America has been doing for decades. And this was a 50-year fight in which billions of resources were poured into it by 
Christian white men in order to have some sort of theology-based anti-science uh, stand against abortion and against health care. So that's the, the point that I have on that. This is something that was foretold back in 2016 when the Supreme Court was going to be switched to a supermajority conservative, and you have yourself now not putting it in actual legislation that this is the case. So in the absence of legislation being passed, the best things I can say, because I know most of this podcast is men, I've seen the data, it's about 93% men, mostly between 18 and 48. So a lot of you probably support a woman's right to choose just based on generational differences and all of that stuff. But if you are looking to support in any way possible, um, there are three things you can do at this point. One, give money to funds and charities that help give women in low in states that have now banned abortion with low income opportunities the ability to travel out of state to receive safe safe healthy abortion a couple websites for that are abortionfunds.org and aidaccess.org if you want to go to those websites those are great places where you can donate money second thing you can do is elect politicians that want to pass legislation not just to make health care a mandatory human right, but also to pass fundamental gun legislation and uh, anti-discriminatory against uh, legislation that is anti-discriminatory against trans people and women and things of those sorts. It's not a great solution. It's just the system that we decided on. If there are three types of ways to make change in the country through the executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch, judicial branch is controlled by Christian theocracy Republicans and you find yourself needing to influence those other two forms of court in order to make real fundamental legislative changes, like passing a universal uh, law that makes abortion a fundamental human right and makes health care a fundamental human right. That is difficult in a two-party system because both parties have decided they're okay with the status quo of not making that to be the case. Um, and the third thing you can do is go protest. Make your voice heard. It's the best thing you can do other than withholding your dollars and your finances from people who are anti-abortion. Those are the best things you can do at this point, and uh, that's all I'm going to address on this issue because I don't want to mansplain too far. Again, it's a fundamental healthcare human rights issue, and uh, it's not really up for debate. Science is clear about how best to go about the situation, and this is, this is science versus theology as simple as I can put it. And when it comes down to science versus theology, it's all based on how people feel instead of how they're, instead of actual scientific evidence that suggests that abortion is a safe way for low-income, well, women of all ages, but especially low-income women to uh, have a form of health care. And uh, we are not, we've decided that that's not going to be the case in America. So that is the the 50-plus year fight that has led to this decision, those are the best things we can do in the short term, especially point one, giving money to causes to help low-income women uh, receive safe, healthy, safe health care is really, really important. So what I want to talk about today is an issue of women's rights that I do actually feel qualified to talk about, and that is Deshaun Watson, because we've done six, seven, eight podcasts, well-researched in-depth, talking about the Deshaun Watson case, and this is, as I've talked about, a sports story for a generation. And we have new developments over the weekend around this case, and I assume over the next 
four weeks, there will be a whole lot of new developments around the Deshaun Watson case. So on Saturday, just as a timeline putting it together here, on Saturday we got the news that on this coming Tuesday, so tomorrow by the time this podcast is being released, possibly if you're listening to this today or yesterday, however and whenever you're listening, it's happening on Tuesday, June 27th. Deshaun Watson is going to begin his disciplinary hearing with the NFL. And it's important to talk about this as a disciplinary hearing because this is the first such case in the history of the NFL. Not just the precedent of Deshaun Watson is an unprecedented serial sexual assaulter and serial sexual predator, exhibits serial sexually predatory behavior. Deshaun Watson finds himself in a unique case because the NFL is going to do a hearing for the first time under its new, or sorry, the NFL and the NFLPA are going to do a hearing under their collective bargaining agreement for the first time. So when the new collective bargaining agreement was passed in 2021, the NFL and the NFL Players Association agreed to have former U.S. District Judge Sue L. Robinson be a disciplinary officer for the league instead of having Goodell assume total authority. So for a little bit of historical context, actually, before we continue with the historical context there. So every time we talk about the Deshaun Watson situation, one of the things that I emphasize on the front end is we always break this down into three main points. We have the human aspect, the morals and ethics around this situation and the real stories of real victims and the real people who are in this situation as a result of Deshaun Watson. Then we talk about the legal aspect of the case and some of the details around that and how Deshaun Watson's legal case is going to proceed, which the legal side of this is mostly concluded, as we talked about last week, settling with 83% of women is going, 83% of the people filing lawsuits is going to be like, it's basically done when it's not basically done. But the NFL's decided that for all intents and purposes, it's basically done. There's no criminal charges being brought. There is no, uh, or most of the lawsuits have been settled. Obviously, the statute of limitation passes after two years, I believe it was in the state of Texas. Statute of limitation for bringing a civil suit passes after two years. So after, theoretically, after March 2023, no new cases will be brought against Deshaun Watson. March of 2021 was when the lawsuits were first filed. We assume that Deshaun Watson wasn't engaging in such behavior after the lawsuits came to light. So assuming that there aren't more cases brought against Deshaun Watson within the next six months, or not six months, it's June to March, the next nine months, that would be the end of the legal case against Deshaun Watson. And then we start talking about it from an NFL standpoint. So first and foremost, let's talk about the human aspects of this case. And we've done episodes over the past two weeks, uh, including on Wednesday of last week when we talked about the Deshaun Watson settlement for 40 to 50 minutes on June 7th, sorry, June 8th. We did a podcast on the New York Times report done by Jenny Vrentas, of, uh, uh, previously of Sports Illustrated, who did the original reporting around this case. 
and Jenny Vrentas now of New York Times continuing her reporting around the Deshaun Watson situation. We talked about that report and the new details and stories that came to light, connections to uh, the Houston Texans and enabling that behavior, a massage therapy company in which a woman was get, was supplying massage therapists to Deshaun Watson with or without knowledge of the situation. On May 27th, we did a story based on the Bryant Gumble reporting. There's no new details I can provide on the humanizing stories of these people. I really, really encourage you to check out specifically those three podcasts. We've done more in the past. I can go back and find more as well. Um, but specifically the podcast from May 27th, June 8th, and last week, June 22nd. Uh, those podcasts all have an hour's worth of humanizing detailed accounts of why it is specifically that Deshaun Watson is facing an unprecedented level of punishment from the NFL and why this is a story worth talking about because there are dozens and dozens of real victims with real stories who are bravely bringing their cases forward uh, for judges and for, um, well, in some cases for criminal prosecutors to to determine guilt or some measure of accountability and leave it up for everyone to judge them make it make it a national story where everyone knows the name of Ashley Solis and knows some of the names of the women like Kyla Hayes who bravely told her story with real sports with Bryant Gumble and people who you know without putting their names forward well have put their names forward in the legal cases even if we don't all know them and people who have talked to reporters and relived those stories those are the humanizing detailed accounts that I encourage you to check out from those ones. Um, these are important details to talk about the humanizing side of that story. But I don't have anything new on that front to discuss. From the legal standpoint, last week when we did a bunch of legal stuff, and I encourage you to check out the, 20 sec the June 22nd piece that we did, which was a deep, deep legal analysis you know, from someone who's not a legal expert, but someone who's done hours and hours of detailed reporting and or not reporting research to learn the legalese around this situation. Um, we talked about the settlement and how that is going to be the Watson's lawyers are going to argue that this essentially closes the case. And now the NFL can proceed forward with punishment, which serves to benefit Deshaun Watson, even though the NFL's investigation had not been concluded. And they said after the case that the NFL's investigation timeline was not going to be affected by this settlement by Deshaun Watson. And lo and behold, it did impact the timeline of the NFL's investigation because now it is going to court or it's going to the NFL's disciplinary process, which is a version of court. It's NFL court. It has no legal jurisdiction, but it's NFL court um, based on the personal conduct policy. So it did speed up the timeline of that. And this leads us into the conversation I want to have today, which is very specifically about getting accountability from Deshaun Watson's employer. Because money can represent accountability for the women who settled. For Ashley Solis and the three people who are still pursuing their lawsuit, it means that the money that was offered on June 21st was not enough to create a meaningful measure of accountability. Accountability could also be change 
in corporate culture and change in the way that we uh, discuss women in professional settings and women coming forward with accusations against powerful people, change in the future can also be a form of accountability that some people seek when they come forward and bring these cases together. These are hugely personal stories, and each case is unique and individual. Everyone wants some measure of accountability for a serial sexual predator who has affected the lives of dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people, if you want to count the families and loved ones of the victims in this case, has affected the lives of hundreds of people, and we want some measure of accountability for that situation. And there will never be enough to satisfy some people's and other people. It will be far too much of an accountability measure. This is all where people draw their own moral and ethical lines around this situation. And there is no perfect answer. What the NFL is trying to pursue is one that will appease the most people on a measure of accountability. The NFL is governing based on public relations. It's the reason why, and again, this is getting back to where we were before talking about morals and ethics. As a backstory, the NFL's personal conduct policy began in 2015 after the Ray Rice incident and after Aaron Hernandez and after all kinds of stuff that uh, the NFL f- and then led into Ezekiel Elliott being one of the first cases under the personal conduct policy to be tried. The NFL implemented the personal conduct policy as a form of accountability for players. Now, the NFL has created a system that has no accountability for owners, which we'll talk about once we get into the the, the um, disciplinary hearing talk. But it created a measure of accountability for players so that the NFL could act as if they had a law and order system in place, even if it was not governed on any solid standard of law and order. It was governed based on public relations to create a form of accountability that wouldn't impact the bottom line, which it did in the aftermath of the Ray Rice case. The the Ray Rice case was a massive debacle for the NFL. They double suspended Ray Rice. Their punishment was um, met with immense outrage. It was not just an ESPN story. It was a CNN and an ABC and a NBC and a CBS. It was a lot of negative PR for the NFL. And so the NFL came up with a personal conduct policy and basketball made one and baseball made one. Hockey has not made one, as a matter of fact, since the time of the Ray Rice scandal. And when they first instituted the personal conduct policy in 2015, the NFL and the NFL Players Association agreed that total power would go to Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell would be the person to hear the disciplinary hearing, and Roger Goodell would hand down punishment, and Roger Goodell would be responsible for the appeal and deciding whether or not to accept or deny the appeal. This was a big deal during Deflategate. Because the personal conduct policy first went into effect, and remember it became Tom Brady versus Roger Goodell. This was the whole thing for years and years. It was Tom Brady versus Roger Goodell, and that's how Deflategate was framed because Tom Brady got suspended four games for bullshit. We know in hindsight there was no deflating of footballs. It was just cold. The PSI measurements that people talk about for being a mandate for the NFL, they just took that off the back of the box of the Wilson footballs. And this was just a a situation where it was cold, the PSI dropped, and that was it. There was no, this was a natural scientific event, 
but because it became a national scandal, the NFL had to govern based on public relations, and so they suspended Tom Brady for four games. And Roger Goodell was the one who was the disciplinary officer, so he handed down the four-game suspension. He heard the appeal, and he upheld the suspension, and Tom Brady had to serve the four games. And so that was where... Uh, I believe it was Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft and Dan Snyder had gotten together and tried to overthrow Goodell. They tried to get rid of Roger Goodell for a time. And a lot of that had to do with how it was being botched within the NFL as they were creating a personal conduct policy. And what happened was after trying this a few times, the NFL got better at figuring out how to navigate these situations with 10, 12 situations, whether it be Adrian Peterson or Joe Mixon or Tyreek Hill, the NFL got better at handling situations under the personal conduct policy and the suspensions kind of became more concrete. They kind of gauged the room and figured out what types of suspensions would be most appropriate for what forms of conduct. And there wasn't a whole lot of pushback the way there was after Ray Rice for what happened with, um, say, Tyreek Hill, who was um, placed on administrative leave and the exempt list during the offseason and was reinstated before the season began with no suspension because there wasn't enough evidence in their investigation to be able to suspend Tyreek Hill. And the NFL also had other things they were being concerned about, Colin Kaepernick foremost one of them, but they ended up not having a massive shitstorm of public relations. They figured out their personal conduct policy. And when 2021 came around and they were negotiating their first full collective bargaining agreement since the personal conduct policy went into effect, the NFL decided that, and, and the NFL Players Association decided that a third party arbiter with legal expertise would be a better way to conduct the personal conduct policy hearing disciplinary hearings. And so the Players Association and the NFL hired between each other, they're both paying for um, U.S. District Judge Sue L. Robinson, who we mentioned earlier, to be that disciplinary officer, to be the person who the NFL goes to court. They go to NFL court. They don't go to actual court, but they go to NFL court where um, Sue Robinson is listening to to the NFL make their argument. They're listening to the NFL Players Association make their argument, and they are going to uh, make, and she's going to make the ruling based on both of their arguments for what the punishment was. As before, it was the NFL makes their argument, Tom Brady or a Players Association member makes their argument, Roger Goodell makes the final decision. So they've replaced Roger Goodell with a former U.S. district judge for like 25 years from Delaware, and this is kind of a cushy retirement job of sorts, and every now and then she'll be called upon to make a ruling based on the NFL's disciplinary procedures, unless the NFL and the Players Association can come to a um, compromise on a suspension, then they don't need to have an independent arbiter rule. It's basically the same format that baseball uses to decide arbitration contracts is the team has a price, the player has a price. If they can't compromise, they will go to an arbitrator and the arbitrator is going to make a ruling based on whatever the evidence is brought before them. And it's why a lot of players hate 
Major League Baseball teams after they go to arbitration because the team talks about how shitty the player is and then the player gets hard feelings about it. So it's sometimes better to just compromise and not have to say shitty things about the player. That's basically the format that the NFL is now using to um, settle its personal conduct policy disputes. And this is a good idea, by the way. I don't know who instigated this conversation or if it was mutual or whatever it was. It's better to have someone with actual legal expertise who's at least a, a smidgen of independent. It's not entirely independent, but it's more independent than Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell is not qualified to be law and order person when it comes to settling these disciplinary hearings. So Sue L. Robinson is at least more qualified to settle these situations than Roger Goodell was in the past. And this Deshaun Watson case is going to be the first time that we have a case like this that needs to go to arbitration. The punishments in 2021 and in 2022, or I guess there hasn't been anything in 2022, but punishments in 2021 and 2022 have not needed to go to arbitration yet because they've been able to be settled between the NFL and the Players Association, whether it be for Calvin Ridley or uh, who else was suspended this year? I guess the the PED policy is kind of is a separate policy, but I, I don't really think there's any other people who have really been suspended that I know of under the personal conduct policy longer than like one game. Um, if I'm forgetting someone, I apologize. But basically, this is the f- the first time that they've needed to go to an arbiter to determine what the punishment for Deshaun Watson is, and the reason this is the case was reported Saturday night, first by the Washington Post and additionally by the Wall Street Journal, which is there is a massive difference between what the NFL views the punishment should be and what the Players Association views the punishment for Deshaun Watson should be. According to the Washington Post reporting, which was done by Mark Maskey on, uh, on Saturday evening, it was that the NFL was seeking to have a one-year-plus suspension for Deshaun Watson. And here's the direct quote from uh, Maskey's reporting in the Washington Post. The NFL is poised to argue for an indefinite suspension of at least one year for Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson at a hearing scheduled to begin Tuesday in front of the sport's new disciplinary officer, Sue L. Robinson, according to a person familiar with the case. The league will contend that Watson, who was accused of sexual misconduct in two dozen civil lawsuits filed by women, violated the NFL's personal conduct policy and should be suspended without pay for at least the entirety of the 2022 season, that person said. Watson would have to apply for reinstatement under the league's proposed penalty. The NFL Players Association is expected to argue to former U.S. District Judge Suelle Robinson, the disciplinary officer appointed by the league and the PA, for far less severe discipline against Watson, perhaps seeking no suspension at all. Robinson will make their initial disciplinary ruling under the revised personal conduct policy completed in 2020. If Robinson rules that Watson violated the conduct policy and imposes disciplinary measures, the league or the union could appeal to Commissioner Roger Goodell or a person designated by Goodell. If Robinson rules Watson did not violate the policy, the case would be closed with no possibility of an appeal. Under the previous version, Goodell was empowered to make the initial disciplinary disciplinary ruling and resolve 
any appeal. This is the first case under the new system. It's not clear how long the hearing will last or when Robinson will make an initial ruling. The NFL aims to have the entire case, including the resolution of any appeal, resolved before training camp, a person with knowledge of the matter previously said. The Browns, who completed a trade with the Texans for Watson, have their first full practice involving veteran players scheduled for July 27th. We'll come back to that last paragraph in a second because it's very important. What I first wanted to point out is the NFL is arguing, and this is also corroborated by reporting in the Wall Street Journal that was done um, by Andrew Beaton uh, just a little bit after the Washington Post story came out. But um, Andrew Beaton is arguing that the NFL wants to have an indefinite suspension through at least 2022, and then Watson would have to apply for reinstatement at some point after 2022, which gives the NFL a bit of protection in the event that more women bring lawsuits against Deshaun Watson prior to the quote-unquote statute of limitation, which we mentioned earlier, the statute of limitation would run out March 2023, because to bring a civil lawsuit against Watson in the state of Texas, there would have to be two-year statute of limitation and we're assuming that after the first lawsuit came out in March 2021, that Watson wasn't engaging in more sexually explicit, uh, you know, sexual harassment, sexual misconduct. We could be wrong. Maybe he was still engaging in nefarious behavior after the fact. But, you know, for assuming the statute of limitation ends in March 2023, that after that there couldn't be new civil suits brought against Watson and criminal charges have already been resolved. So... The NFL is arguing indefinite suspension there and then possibly um, forcing Watson to apply for reinstatement in 2023. The Players Association is arguing that there should be no punishment or that Watson did not violate the personal conduct policy. Now, this seems confusing because the NFL Players Association has said has basically been reported to in the past kind of agree that there needs to be some measure of accountability. Mike Florio provides the important context, which is not like Mike Florio saying this revelatory thing. It's just the important context for this situation. Deshaun Watson is represented by the NFL Players Association. Therefore, the NFL Players Association is going to defend Deshaun Watson. They have a duty under federal law to defend Watson and all members of their union. The NFL Players Association, like a lawyer, has to argue that Deshaun Watson should not be suspended at all under the personal conduct policy, or if they feel like that's an impossible standard to hit, argue for extremely lenient punishment because they are a union protected by federal law, receiving federal funding. They need to protect their players to the fullest extent under protection, uh, under the, the guise of you cannot break federal law. These players pay into your union for your legal protection. The NFL Players Association has to defend Deshaun Watson, even if it's a negative public relations stance, which the NFL Players Association is in the wrong, and yet they have to do this, and so it's not something that I'm going to hold against them as, look at this corrupt players association trying to get Deshaun Watson off on accountability. Legally, they have to defend Deshaun Watson against this case the same way they had to defend 
Tom Brady and had to defend Ray Rice. I remember when um, Ray Rice got double suspended by the NFL, it was a massive suit by the Players Association, and the compromise that they came to was Roger Goodell was in the wrong, and no other team is going to sign Ray Rice because they don't want the negative publicity associated with signing Ray Rice. And Ray Rice wasn't the caliber of player that Deshaun Watson was at the time. But the NFL Players Association won that fight. It's that you cannot double suspend a member of our union that's not in our collective bargaining agreement. And the NFL violated that, and they, the NFL Players Association won that case. And the NFL Players Association is arguing that we want this to be settled and Deshaun Watson to get as lenient a punishment as possible. So that discrepancy in where things stand makes it such that there's likely not going to be a compromise, or maybe there is going to be a compromise. It seems like, though, according to these reports by the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal, the NFL wants to protect itself from negative PR of, we suspend Watson for a season, and then more allegations come to light, and we can't suspend him again. Which, there's another interesting part of this in the um, the Dan Snyder case, which we'll talk about sometime later this week. Um, there's, there's another interesting point about a second investigation being opened into Dan Snyder and the possibility of a second punishment with released detailed findings. There's also the possibility that the NFL Players Association could find more details of the Beth Wilkinson um, investigation into Dan Snyder that the NFL refused to release the details of because it would be incredibly damaging to Dan Snyder and the reputation of the NFL. So maybe we'll get more details out of that because part of the NFL Players Association's argument to the disciplinary court is Jerry Jones didn't get any punishment for nefarious behavior and sexual assaults by uh, Rich Darrumple, uh, or, uh, yeah, sexual, not sexual assault, sexual harassment and sexual misconduct of photographing women under their skirts and taking photographs of the women's locker room and, you know, going away quietly and not paying any fine. There was no punishment for the Cowboys there. There was no punishment for Robert Kraft for when he was uh, arrested under prostitution guys and sex trafficking. There was no, uh, pun no adequate punishment for Dan Snyder, although we don't know exactly what Dan Snyder was accused of. There was no adequate punishment for Dan Snyder. If there's no punishment for these owners, why is there a punishment for the players? Why is there a different accountability system for those people? That's part of the Players Association's argument, which is a very real point. Not that there shouldn't be accountability for players, but that there should be accountability for owners. The NFL's just created a system in which there is no accountability for owners, even when you have Congress investigating Dan Snyder. So that's where things stand with the NFL is arguing indefinite suspension. He'll have to apply for reinstatement in 2023. And the Players Association is arguing for leniency because under federal law, they are required to argue for leniency on behalf of their client. And the next step around this is the disciplinary case. This is the first time Sue L. Robinson is going to be called for a disciplinary case. And it is going to be the one that defines the entire process that the NFL has constructed. Because again, this is a sports story for a generation. You are never going to see a case like this for years and years and years where you have one of the six biggest names in all of the NFL 
one of the 15 players who is bigger than an organization. Like, had 13 teams lining up and interviewing for the right to be traded to him, giving him a fully guaranteed $253 million contract, because if it wasn't going to be Cleveland, it was going to be Atlanta. It was going to be New Orleans. It was going to be Carolina. With full knowledge that he would be indefinitely suspended, they still took the next 10 years of that quarterback over over any other moral principle or legal principle or anything like that. It was pure, this guy is bigger than our organization. He will change the course of our football team and we will give up anything and everything to acquire him. That player being accused of this level of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment is something that we will not see probably again. (laughs) This level of dozens of I mean dozens and three dozen plus that we know of on record being assaulted serial sexual sexually predatory behavior we're not going to see a situation like this for a long time and so this will be the case that comes to define this system of arbitration the same way that the deflate gate case is going to be the thing that defines Roger Goodell as disciplinarian, as judge, jury, and executioner of the NFL as collectively bargained by the Players Association because they didn't have a better system in place. The the NFL personal conduct policy is brand new, and the NFL had to do a lot of growing pains to figure this out. It took the Ray Rice situation. It took messing up Deflategate. It took messing up Ray uh, messing up Ray Rice. It took messing up Joe Mixon. It took messing up the Tyreek Hill. I mean, they did the Tyreek Hill case. Okay, it took messing up Ezekiel Elliott. They they unfairly suspended Ezekiel Elliott six games, just based on allegations where there was not a lot of cooperation between the woman and the NFL, and the legal team, and they suspended Ezekiel Elliott six games anyways. So they had to do a lot of growing pains of figuring this thing out. And this is going to probably be new growing pains because this is the first time they've ever done it. And this is a hell of a situation to have this be the first time they've ever gone to this type of disciplinary hearing and having no idea what uh, what Sue L. Robinson is going to lean on and what Sue L. Robinson is going to decide. It's a hell of a first time to have this situation happen. And there's going to be growing pains. The hope is that in this weird roundabout way, the hope is that the NFL wins and that there is a measure of accountability for Deshaun Watson that is at at the bare minimum too accountable than it is not accountable enough because this is the last chance to get some measure of accountability for Deshaun Watson's behavior. All Deshaun Watson has lost so far is getting paid $38 million to not play football for a season. It's not a hell of a big accountability measure. It might feel that way to Deshaun Watson. In the grand scheme of, and it might feel that way to football fans who think an entire year of a career that's going to span 20 is, is a massive deal. For the level of accusations brought against him, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we get to the disciplinary hearing because. What this entails for Watson is, do we get, or what this entails for the victims is, do we get a measure of accountability for this behavior? The money for those women who settled can represent a measure of accountability. On the grand scheme of things, having years of his career taken away and losing financial penalties for this, because the NFL can also advocate for additional fines to Watson. But, you know, I talked about how the same point. The NFL can let him get away with it if they want. 
because after this case finishes, they can appeal, the NFL or Watson's team can appeal to a a secondary appeals court, which is still ran by Roger Goodell. And I assume Roger Goodell will do the bidding of the owners if they mess this up in the first place and advocate for a longer term suspension, which I don't like the precedent that that sets, even if it does create a strong measure of accountability. It would be great if Sue L. Robinson created the appropriate measure of accountability on the first try and that you had someone arguing for extensive punishment. And what's difficult in this situation is what is an appropriate measure of accountability will be different to everyone who's viewing it. The people that it's most important for are the victims of Deshaun Watson's serial sexually predatory behavior. Accountability for them matters more than accountability for anyone else in this respect. So some measure of accountability is going to be really, really important in this case. And the NFL is going to have to try it for the first time right now. And, you know, that's that's really difficult to figure out um, how it's going to work. And I hope that there's some measure of accountability that comes in, which we now know is going to be relatively recent. Because the last point that I wanted to talk about with this case is what we talked about Uh, with the last paragraph of the Washington Post story, which is, um, under the previous version of the conduct policy, Goodell was empowered to make the initial ruling and resolve the appeal. This is the first case under the new system, which means there's going to be growing pains and hopefully there's a measure of accountability. That's what we just talked about. The last part I wanted to talk about is, it's not clear how long the hearing will last or when Robinson will make the initial ruling. The NFL aims to have the entire case, including the resolution of any appeal, resolved before training camp, a person with knowledge of the matter previously said. The Browns have their first full practice involving veteran players scheduled for July 27th. After we had the settlement on the 22nd, you can go back and listen to the talks about this from the NFL standpoint, I had hoped that the NFL would do the right thing and take their time with the investigation, use the exempt list, and let this continue to play out so that perhaps the four women who are still pursuing their their day in court will get to have that before the NFL decides to hand down discipline for Deshaun Watson. And hopefully they force him to have to apply for reinstatement in March or in April after this case is all resolved. It seems to be what the NFL is arguing for in this disciplinary court, and hopefully the NFL wins in that respect. I'm rooting for the NFL over the Players Association to create accountability for Deshaun Watson in this case, which is usually something I'm very, very pro-labor. I'm rooting for management in this case. I am rooting for the NFL to get some measure of accountability out of this and not hand down a finite, more importantly, not hand down a finite suspension by july 27th which is one month from today in four weeks they want to resolve this entire situation even though their investigation is still ongoing and i was hoping they would do the right thing they did not in this situation they did not take their time with this case they did not continue to investigate which in part tony busby did say on the real sports with bryant gumbel story that um they stopped cooperating with the investigation because 
Busby felt like the questioning was insincere and the NFL was doing it because they felt like they had to and not because they felt like they needed to. And so the NFL is basing their accusations of punishment on just a few testimonies that they were able to have with women before Busby and the women stopped cooperating with the NFL investigation. Now, fortunately, from that information, the NFL is still reportedly arguing for indefinite suspension so that the investigation can continue and so that new details can come to light. So in in essence, if they feel like they have to move this process along, at least they're arguing for kick the can down the road until 2023, in which Watson can reapply for reinstatement and then we can reevaluate then. So I'm hoping that that's the case. I'm hoping indefinite suspension through 2022 is the outcome so that these women who are still pursuing lawsuits can have their day in court and so that all the information can be gathered and so that the NFL can continue their investigation even if there's not a lot that's going to be found that's new revelatory information. I hope that they kick the can down the road so that those women can have their day in court from a moral and ethical standpoint. I hope that Watson gets suspended so that those women can continue to have their day in court. Whether he gets paid or not, it's only $1 million because Watson negotiated his contract with the Cleveland Browns in such a way that Watson was going to get a base salary of $1 million of the 253 fully guaranteed, the rest was going to be the next four years, averaging between 50 and $60 million per season. And that was done with the knowledge that Watson was probably not going to play in the 2022 season. And again, the thing I talked about the whole time, the NFL can let them get away with that or they cannot. They can impose additional fines. They can impose suspend, impose suspensions and they, you know, go to the arbitration hearing and all that stuff. They can argue for it. They can't impose it. They can argue for it and then have an arbitrator end up making the decision. So all of that to say the NFL is going to have the winning case in that respect. And I hope that they kick the can down the road so that it will give those women a chance to um, have their day in court in 2023. And, you know, in this case, it's a million dollar difference, whether he gets exempt listed and gets paid or he gets uh, suspended for the year and he only loses a million dollars. It's it's not that big of a difference in that respect. I'm hoping that they kick the can down the road so that those women can have their day in court. What I'm disappointed in is the fact that this is going to a place where we have to move this along according to a timeline according to NFL timelines of training camp that this investigation needs to be moved along because if you sp- if you condense months long processes and in this case years long processes if we're going back to March of 2021 all the way to now if we're condensing a years and months long process into one month there is an increased probability that you're going to mess something up. If you're doing the work across months and years into the span of one month, you're going to have to cut details in some places. You're going to have to cut the experiences of some women in some places. It's an inevitable outcome when you're trying to do months worth of work in the span of a time frame that condenses it to one month. 
it's going to be a lesser product than if you had spent the full amount of time necessary to conduct an investigation. And maybe they'll argue, you know, we had four months to do it, but we kicked it all down the road until the last three weeks, like people do with their, like, papers. Or it's like, well, it only takes three hours to write this paper, and it's due in two weeks. I'm going to do it the day before the exam is due. Like, you can argue that to be the case. This wouldn't have gone out across months if it hadn't been something that needed that much time to investigate and based on the legal, you know, the as people gather facts for the case, like the women filed the initial civil suit in 2021 and the four who are left aren't going to have their day in court until 2023 if they choose to have their day in court in 2023. So these things take a long time and the NFL is trying to condense this entire hearing and investigation wrapped up in a month when it could have taken years to work through i mean it took a year already it was going to go until 2023 originally for the 24 women to have their day in court before watson decided to settle with non-disclosure agreements which is something that was inevitably going to happen it was just whether or not they were going to get to drag the process out long enough to have those women get a, a, a testimony in court and while we have the, and we're going to have those images because this is a high profile case it's probably going to be televised video will be released from the courtrooms we're going to have those images we're going to have those humanizing accounts which you don't need a court document and a court video to know how it feels if you're actively seeking out Ashley Solis on Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel or you're actively seeking out that initial press conference that we we play on this podcast a bunch with Ashley Solis when we talk about this and if you, and Kyla Hayes talking about her case, um, you can seek out these detailed reports. You can read reporting, but it probably doesn't have the same emotional effect for other people as it does sitting in a courtroom, sitting with Watson on the other end of that table in court. It doesn't hit the same for people as that emotional image will hit. And if the NFL's already handed down their punishment by that point, it's going to change public reaction around this case we saw it with the johnny depp and amber heard trial like seeing them testifying and seeing images of famous people sitting on a court stand and sitting in a courtroom it changes people's perceptions of a situation for right or for wrong it just messes with emotions and emotional connections is what the nfl is trying to govern by here and sometimes with good reason sometimes emotional connection is good for helping us determine what a measure of accountability is for victims in this situation it doesn't have to be logical and concrete because these situations aren't logical and concrete so if the nfl is going to try and condense years worth of an investigation into a month there's an increased chance that you're going to mess this up. And if you mess this up, it's going to be a huge blight on the NFL. It's going to be a huge blight if they mess this one up and they try and condense it into the time frame of training camp so that people don't have to talk about it anymore when this is going to continue to be talked about about the same amount regardless of whether or not you have an investigation completed or not they just don't want it to be in the news cycle once the actual season starts so we can care about watching football games with watson not playing for the browns but we can talk about kenny pickett we can talk about mac jones and the real nfl storylines and it's 
you just increase maybe maybe they'll condense the time frame and they'll come to the same result hopefully that's some measure of accountability that's satisfactory for the victims in that respect it's not about me it's not about moral principles it's not about the nfl it's about accountability for the people who are victims in this respect and for creating some measure of meaningful accountable change and ultimately let's see what they end up getting out of this case because if you're condensing i'm disappointed that the nfl is condensing it into a month time frame we talked about this on wednesday like it was so important that the settlement didn't impact that they don't look at the settlement and say oh well the case is resolved we can now hand down our disciplinary punishment because the legal side is complete now you don't have to rush it I know it feels like training camp is an important deadline to get it through. You don't have to rush this situation. This is what the exempt list was for. Like, this is why this is the case. You don't have to rush this over the next month. It's going to happen, and there's a small chance that we're going to watch a train crash, and we're the same way that women have been failed all across America over the last two years. We're going to watch these women get failed again. If the NFL rushes this and they mess up on some of the details and all of a sudden Deshaun Watson doesn't get an accurate level of accountability for what has for the, the digressions that he has caused and the pain that he's caused, maybe the NFL still wins and they and again, I'm rooting for accountability. I am rooting for kick the can down the road, whether it's exempt list or suspension. Push it down the road through 2022 so that those women who are still pursuing lawsuits like Ashley Solis can have their day in court. Maybe they'll settle and they'll get whatever they decide to be accurate levels of accountability. May, or maybe they'll be failed by the justice system. Who knows? Maybe that'll end up happening and then the NFL can go ahead and hand down their suspension because there's no more lawsuits left. Maybe that will be pressure. Maybe hearing that will be pressure for Watson to settle for more money, whatever the case may be. It's just really messed up that you can you don't have to do this now. You don't have to rule now. You don't have to go to disciplinary court now. It benefits Watson to speed this up because it again increases the chance that someone messes up something. And it benefits Watson to have it finitely concluded because you can't double punish in this situation. So it benefits Watson to speed this process up. And the NFL's decided we're going to let him get away with it because we also want this for some reason resolved before training camp. And it just it's increasing the chance that there's going to be something messed up. And and it's a pit in the bottom of my stomach as someone who's read these detailed accounts and spent hours talking and researching and talking about the moralizing of this situation, a sports story of a generation. And real victims and real testimonies and just the way that we treat women in professional settings in America, which, as we know, women aren't allowed to have basic health care rights. In America, you can deny trans people basic health care rights. This is a bill passed in 2019. You can deny people medical care because they are transgender or because they're LGBTQIA+. Like, this is, America's decided that we're going to fail these people at every turn of basic human rights and basic human needs. And we're going to deny accountability in this situation to these women. I just have the pit in the bottom of my stomach that if you speed this process up, this is the first time you're going to an arbitration case with the new system and you're trying to speed it up within a month time frame, there is a much higher probability that you are going to mess this thing up. And that makes me feel a little bit nervous as we go along through the next month.
So with new updates around this situation, we're going to continue talking about this and reporting on this because we are deep into this case and as many podcasts as it may take, we will do as much detailed accounts on this situation as we can. Thank you for stopping in, everybody. I hope you all have a fantabulous day. Um, thank you to the Mike Florio report, the Washington Post, uh, the Wall Street Journal also did reporting to help us in this story. The links to that are in the description to this episode as well. Um, the next month is going to be interesting because it looks like the NFL is going to speed up this timeline to July 27th. And this is, again, uh, the, I'll reiterate the same concluding point again. If this is the first time you're going to have an arbitrator for the NFL and the NFL Players Association, and you're trying to speed up a months-long, years-long process into one month, there's an increased probability that you are going to mess some details up, and that might end up messing up the end result for these victims and not give appropriate measure of accountability. Because this is the last line. This is the last line of accountability for Deshaun Watson's behavior. We've already decided he's not going to lose his freedoms and his rights. You know, the criminal charges were dropped. He's paid some sort of financial damages to the women who have to the 83% of women who decided that whatever financial damages were received were adequate to create a measure of accountability. He's got paid $38 million to not play football last year. This is the last opportunity to get a measure of accountability. And it feels like the NFL is going to mess this one up. And that kind of stinks. I mean, it doesn't kind of stink. It does stink for the victims in this case, who their accountability is more important than what any of us care about from a football player getting suspended for X, Y, or Z games. So take it easy, everybody. I know it's hard after that episode and just the state of affairs right now, but take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Okay, hold on, everybody. This is Kyle from the future coming at you again here on this podcast. So I, uh, I wanted to um, give you a little heads up on a newly reported detail that came out this weekend, courtesy of Mike Florio. Uh, I'm just going to read this report to you first and foremost because uh, we did not know this information prior to now around Deshaun Watson's Cleveland Browns contract. Much was made of the fact that the Browns gave Deshaun Watson a base salary for 2022 of only $1 million, given that the approach would reduce dramatically the financial consequence of, for example, a six- or eight-game suspension. If Watson misses all of 2022, it doesn't matter. A full-season suspension by rule would toll Watson's contract for a year. His $1 million salary would move from 2022 to 2023, supplanting the $46 million he's due to make next year. And he would be under contract for five full seasons beyond 2022, not four. Basically, he would endure 12 months without pay, making it a true suspension of his career. He'd also be a potential free agent not in 2027, but in 2028. That's good news for the Browns, since it simply delays the commencement of the relationship for a year and extends it by a year on the back end. Whether it would be good for Watson or the Browns, 
or the Browns for Watson to try and get back into his pre-2021 form would be a different question. So Watson's contract, if he gets suspended a full season in 2022, just gets kicked down the road. Is that they, they, Their commitment does not begin with Watson until after his first year of full suspension, which is a pretty nifty thing that I hadn't considered. The $1 million base salary is more to help the Cleveland Browns than it is to give Watson a sort of financial freedom in this respect. So Deshaun Watson, if he gets suspended for all of 2022, is going to kick his one-year base salary back to 2023, which, damn if it's good for Watson and damn if it's good for the Browns to prepare for an indefinite suspension. Because if if he gets indefinite, like the NFL is arguing, if Watson gets suspended 2022 and this kicks down the road to 2023 when he has to apply for reinstatement, then he'd still only be making the $1 million base salary. That's messed up. It's messed up. The NFL also could argue for an additional fine. Maybe they do that. Maybe they don't. It'll be interesting to see what happens as a violation of the personal conduct policy. So that's new information we didn't know prior to recording this podcast is that if Watson gets suspended, the Browns have legally prepared, have written the contract in such a way that they just don't begin their financial commitment until 2023. So Watson would be under contract for an additional year. Then Watson would uh, not be able to make money during the 2022 and 2023 seasons in the event that he were suspended, which in, in the short term is a measure of accountability. It's just the the money that he gets from the giant contract gets kicked down the road. So at least that that's some measure of accountability. He, he he won't be able to make money for two seasons if he gets suspended, even for just one season. So that's that's a small measure of accountability. Even if in the grand scheme of things, the the Cleveland Browns and Watson's lawyers kind of thought ahead on this situation. So it's new information that we did not know. We had assumed that oh, it's a $1 million contract, therefore he'll be suspended that year and it'll only be a $1 million base salary. So instead, if he gets suspended for a full season or suspended indefinitely, the, the contract just doesn't begin until after his suspension is completed for any of the behaviors on the list of things that he gave the Cleveland Browns he might be suspended for. It's new information. Thought I'd pass that along. It just makes one of the details within this podcast a little bit... Um, no, not exactly accurate. So it's not 100% accurate. The The part about whether he gets exempt listed for a year or he gets suspended for a year, it looks like regardless if he gets suspended by July 27th, then Deshaun Watson would uh, not begin his contract with the Cleveland Browns. His contract only begins after the suspension is completed, which again, like I said a second ago, Browns and Watson's lawyers were were prepared in writing that new contract. I'm sure that was a, a very unique contract negotiation. So that is the the fourth story being reported by uh, Mike Florio that you can find linked in the description to this episode as well. It's new information that was not available until yesterday. So that is a added bit of information as well at the end of this podcast. <laughs> 